Hi, this is Sean Clinch, the host of Stories Inside the Man Cave podcast. And we really appreciate you being so loyal of a listener and continuing to download each episode of our podcast and sharing it with your friends on social media. Of course, word of mouth is always the best way to promote something like this. And if you're interested in sponsoring a piece of the middle segment, maybe promote your business, shoot me a direct message to at Stories Man Cave and we can make those arrangements. Or if you have a nonprofit organization you would love for us to promote, send that information as well to at Stories Man Cave on our Twitter site. As for the next episode, let's ride. Wake your ass up or take a damn nap. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. It's time. I mean, Sean, you were twerking. That's going to happen. <laughs> Murph, don't be a dick all your life. This is uh, one, of the, one of the more fun podcasts I've ever done. Hey, I'll tell you what. If you're not talking about sports in the man cave, you... No, I bet not. So you got a bed. That's it. <laughs> Sorry, sir. It's all gas, no brakes here on uh, Stories Inside the Man Cave. And gentlemen, we have an Arctic Vortex, as they're calling it. Uh, basically, a very strong cold front that's going to last until next week. And as we speak, people are raiding toilet paper and water and bread and dairy from HEB. How are you, gentlemen? Big Mike, Coach Mo, he is not here today. But uh, hardball hards, as always, the Mr. Reliable. How are you guys handling this, what they're calling an Arctic vortex? Well, I'm, I'm from Boise, Idaho, so I actually know what it's like to be in the cold weather <laughs> and not freak out. I can also drive when it gets wet on the roads. I heard, saw we had a 26-car pileup, hopefully no, one, no casualties <laughs> there. But um, a little crazy, a little cold, but, you know, it's not bad. Harge is over here in a Christmas onesie. Really rocking that today. Uh, great hey, job, I'm going to tell you right now, Uncle Brother, and I'm going to keep it like that. You put me with the sun, I'm good. You, Mike, you probably got on shorts right now, don't you? I have shorts and leggings on. That is correct. Yes, I am a <laughs> true, true guy. I did not go raid HEB. I was supposed to drive to Temple today to get my first vaccine shot, and that was canceled due to inclement weather, I was told. So, that's the only negative of today. Other than that, it's, it's a great day. It is a great day. Now, speaking of Temple, uh, we're going to have a guy here shortly who is the pride of Temple, Texas. And as we make that segue, I know we are all amused and appreciative of the stories told by the Ty Harrington in our last episode. Jump on uh, your podcast listening platform. Listen to Ty Harrington. Uh, he provided the longest first segment, if you were not <laughs> <laughs> the uh his stories are second to none and as we have make this transition jump on twitter at stories man cave we want to hear from you but as you're looking on twitter maybe this will give you a hint somewhat of our segment one guest the one two That was the clinching pitch, if you will, for the 2015 Kansas City Royals. And then, as we alluded to, <clears throat> Temple, Texas, resides in Georgetown. Everyone, the man of many people, Gene Watson, you know baseball. Oh, so clap. Anybody Great job, Gene. Stories inside the man cave. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. It's a joy. I really appreciate it. I've uh, admired y'all's work for a while now. I've I go way back with Mike. He's like a son to me, and uh, it's, a, it's a joy to be here with you guys today. <laughs> well, for people just listening, a lot of people have seen your name or heard you associated with local baseball. But to give you a quick bio before we make this roundtable discussion, uh, you played for, the, I believe, the great, I think the late, great Butch McBroom at, at UT Arlington, correct? And uh, you played there. And you got into scouting about the time I think Harge was coming up the pipeline. Major League Baseball scout, director of scouting, selection committees of USA Baseball. This resume is like four <laughs> pages, if you will. And you have now have a couple of World Series rings. How do you sum up this career and the timing of it all? 
Sean, it's really been quite a dream. I mean, and, and Mike will tell you, you know, growing up in Bell County, uh, it takes a lot to get out of Bell County. You got to really like dream big and and work extremely hard. And um, you know, I, I we grew up in football environments. I mean, Temple High School was a football school, as was Colleen Ellison, where Mike was. And and I never dreamed. You know, I, I was cut three times from my high school baseball team, and just wow. kept pushing and pushing. And um, I walked on to St. Edwards University my freshman year uh, in college, and and just got a little bit better. And and I decided to put it all on the line in 1989. I transferred to the University of Texas at Arlington, knowing that I would either make the baseball team and work for the Texas Rangers in some capacity or, or both. And, uh, and it had both happened. I played three years at the University of Texas at Arlington and was a squadman for three years. Got to pitch against, you know, Baylor, Texas, Texas A&M, TCU. Uh, and then I went to work for the Rangers working on the grounds crew, the tarp crew, in the locker room for three years, worked in the ticket office and just tried to create as many relationships as I possibly could and and just, you know, network as much as I could. And in 1994, we moved home and I became an associate scout for Ralph Bratton and the Houston Astros. And I made a deal with him. I told him that I would work like a full-time guy if he would treat me like one. And he did. And from there, it's just kind of been a journey, spiraled out of control to the Padres through 99 and the Braves through 2002. Uh, went to the Marlins in 03, and then in 2006, my boss with the Atlanta Braves got the GM job in Kansas City, and and I had been with him up to December of this year when uh, Perry Manassian, who was uh, one of the Bat Boys and Clubhouse attendants for the Rangers when I was there 25 years ago, uh, got the general manager's job in, in Los Angeles and brought me over as the uh, senior advisor to baseball operations. So it's been an amazing ride. Uh, my family and I have been extremely blessed and uh, just, it's just been a great journey. And Gino, Gino and I go way back and, and we've been friends for a long time. And as you said, we've known each other since the very beginning and his journey is one of those that is a true baseball lifer. Um, I mean, he's the true meaning of starting from the bottom and working his way to the very top. And, He's right. We're, we we grew up in the 254. Back then it was 817, but it's the 254 now, and we continue to represent it to the best of our abilities. I wanted to ask you this, Gene, as you started your journey and, and to your point of starting at St. Edwards as a walk-on, I cut three times in high school, and all the things that you went through, did that make you – I mean, obviously it made you who you are today, but I'm talking about did you start breaking down players then, start scouting to why did I get cut? Did I not fit this mold? Did I not fit that mold? Is that what got you into the scouting part of it? You know, what really got me into the scouting part is in 1990, we won the Southland Conference Championship. We had to sweep Sam Houston State on the final weekend of the season uh, and did that. And so there was a break in between uh, the tournament and the Central Regional, 1990 Regional, that we played in. And uh, they, I was coming home for a couple of days, and they said, hey, would you be willing to go uh, to Dishfalk Field and advance the Southwest Conference Tournament? And, and I didn't know what advancing was, but it was basically, you know, these pitchers throw this pitch and this count, and this is when they bunt, and this is when they steal, and this is when they hit and run. And I broke down this very elaborate scouting report on the University of Texas. And, and I knew when I walked out of Dishfalk Field on that Sunday afternoon that, that I wanted to be a scout. And moving into the 91 season, um, I, I would see scouts at our games that, that are dear friends of mine and mentors of mine today. And, and I would tell them, I want to do what you do for a living. And, uh, and then when I went to work for the Rangers, kind of, went the broadcasting route for a little while. I, I actually went to three winter meetings to, to get radio and TV jobs in, in the minor leagues. And once I knew that wasn't going to be my calling, I just tried to go the, the scouting and coaching route, and it just all kind of evolved into what it is today. All right, Gene. So now you, you've retired from scouting. Where are you, what are you doing these days? Where, where, are, you, where are you at? What are you doing? What's your, what's your jam? I'm the uh, senior advisor to the general manager for major league operations with the angels, which is a little bit mm -hmm. of a different role from what I've been doing. I, uh, I oversaw all the pro scouting with the Royals for the last 14 years. So this is more uh, an advisory role to the general manager and really having 
my hands into every department. And uh, so far, it's been a, a, a joy. It's been a month right now. And I'm leaving for spring training tomorrow in Tempe, Arizona. And uh, it's really been fun to go from a smaller market to a bigger market. Obviously, having the best player in the world on your team is a lot of fun in Mike Trout. But uh, so so we're mm -hmm. on the front end of this journey and, and, and the push to try to win a world championship in L.A. Yeah, so go ahead. Jane, you know, you talk about that. You, you're going from the small market of Kansas City, which you won championships in that small market, got to the World Series a couple times, and now you're going to this mega market. And, and with your past and being around the game as, as much as you've been, when you look at a guy like Mike Trout and you look at the organization, and now you're the special assistant, but do you continue, or excuse me, advisor, sorry, but do you continue to evaluate and continue to look for those types of players that will fit the, the Angels organization that could come in and help build that championship team as well? Yeah, Mike, it, it's an immediate push, and that's the one battle cry that I've sort of had uh, this this first month is that, you know, if you look at the scoreboard, Mr. Marino is, has been an owner since 2004, and, uh, you know, he's 74 years old, and Joe Madden's 66 years old. Mike Trout's been in three playoff games. He's 0-3 in those playoffs games. The sense of urgency has to be high, and it has to be about winning right now. There's no, there's no building of the minor leagues to win. There's no – you the push to win a world championship has to be immediate, and that's really been the battle cry so far in the early going. Gino, you mentioned you, there's very few people. I mean, I know we use the term. I, I call Big Mike and you and Hard's brother. You know, we, we, it is there's like a brotherly type of relationship. And GM Drayton Moore with the Royals, you re, you refer to him as family and yeah, as brother. Now, as far as that goes, you talk about someone here recently that is a significant piece to the modern era of baseball, but from the media point of view, Pedro Gomez, you, you've developed quite a relationship. And, you know, a lot of us felt like, because before we started recording this podcast, Big Mike made a, a, a significant comparison. Um, we all felt like we knew him because of his reporting on ESPN. Uh, he did it in a way in which it was personable, it was not just cookie cutter. It was truly based on relationships, trust, and someone who had a great work ethic. But last week, you introduced me to him, or excuse me, uh, the first week of February. You introduced me to him for the first time. And just like we see on television, on his reporting, um, genuine person. You, unfortunately, and he was there to emcee the RBI dinner and fundraiser because of your relationship. Sudden death he just left us, and I know this has been tough for you. Yeah. How do you, for all the people who don't know him away from his incredible talents, he's an incredible father and husband too, but as your brother, how do you describe that relationship and how you've gotten to know him? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, th I think it sums it up like this. I mean, like when, when we got the word Sunday that he had passed and – um the text started to roll in from the people like yourself that had met him at the RBI dinner uh, to the person it was, um, I felt like I'd known him forever. And that, that's who Pedro was, that's what embodied Pedro Gomez, is we all have our moments, and I, I told you all the story earlier, I've got a thousand of those stories, but so does everybody else that ever encountered Pedro. He was an incredible, first of all, husband and father, uh, and then secondly, just a, just a universal uh, figure when it came to the media as far as, you know, holding people accountable, getting the story that nobody wanted to give. Uh, I, I said to him two, two Thursdays ago, I said, you're always where tragedy strikes. And he always seemed to be wherever there was tragedy. And uh, Pedro was just an amazing human being that found uh, a way in life of making that moment between you and him feel like, you were the most special person in the world. And the day after the, the event, he and Sandy went to Lookenbach, Texas, and, and we went out of town immediately. So I didn't get a chance to talk to him to kind of wrap up, 
you know, his time here. And so we were talking literally 24 hours before he passed. And, and I said, Pedro Gomez, you've been everywhere in the world. Now you've been to Lookenbach, Texas. And we started singing the song and we were laughing. And I said, Hey brother, I love you. I'll see you on Friday. And Sunday he was gone. And, and, and as I said earlier, it's just a, it's just a great lesson and testimony to none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And, and we're only on this earth, you know, for a short while, we got to impact as many people as we can and not get caught up in all the little things that kind of, you know, envelop our lives and, and bring us down. We got to, we got to do the best we can to live in love and just experience everything we can. And that's what Pedro Gomez embodied. Yeah, that's, that's so touching. And I, you know, I, I, you invited me on to one of the uh, councils that he was on earlier this year, and he got a chance to talk when you had a bunch <clears throat> of different guys that were trying to make their moves, and he was educating people on how to do that. So uh, it's a it's a huge loss, and he was one of those guys that every time he talked, you knew that you were going to have a good story behind it. You gave us a story pre, uh, prior to this, but I want to transition to the new era of baseball. I want to ask you this with all the changes that are happening and, and you've seen it all, Gene. like I said, you, you'll get a chance to tell a story about you and I back in the day, but I want you to talk about the transition of the game. And do you think some of the new rules that are being put in place, is it for the betterment of the game? Is it not for the betterment? Do you like some of the stuff that's happening? What are, what are some of the pluses and the minuses that you are seeing in the changes? Well, Mike, the, the overall scope of the game, I'm going to be quite honest with you, and I'm going to speak as a leader in the game and as someone who, you know, I, I live each day to protect the game and grow the game. And I'm, I'm very concerned for the game of baseball right now. We've got a lot of things going on that are not, protecting or growing our game and I'll start with the amateur system where Mike a guy like you a three sports star and you were on the very very front end of the select baseball era you know I know I know right when you were a junior senior is when kind of the select baseball era started and that was at the 17 18 year old level and so think about a 14 year old Mike Harge that's a three sports star that you've got seven on seven football and you've got AAU basketball in the summer, so much cheaper sports to pay. And now Mike Harge has got to pay $2,500 a summer just to get part of 11.7 scholarship. Uh, and you were certainly a high pick. Uh, but, but, but the Mike Harges of today are the Baker Mayfields, the Kyler Murrays, the Patrick Mahomeses, the Drew Breeses of the world. And those kids are gravitating to football because of the expense and the cost that comes with, you know, playing amateur baseball just to get a piece of 11.7. You sign to play football, you go into the Big 12 or the SEC, you're in front of 100,000 people every week. You go into the draft, you're playing every Sunday. You go through baseball, it's 10 grand at least to get through the amateur system to get a part of 11.7. And maybe a player is fortunate enough like you to get drafted high and be able to put a little money in the bank but now we've cut 42 teams from minor league baseball and we've cut 20 rounds from the major league draft with just high and low. We've done so much to damage our game from a standpoint of creating opportunities for young players. And when you look at the scoreboard and you've got a family from a middle or lower income family, and you're asking that single parent mom, like my mom, to pay $2,200 or whatever it is to play summer ball, or I can go play seven on seven or go play AAU basketball. Families have a great deal of pride. They're gonna, they're gonna gravitate those athletes to the sports that they can afford to play. And so we've got, we've got a lot of, of issues within our industry right now from an opportunity standpoint at the low end and at the high end. And when you look at what's going on in college baseball right now with the uh, the kids receiving extra years of eligibility, you're going to have five, six classes of players on college campuses, and they all can't play. Okay, so when they're kicked aside or they're pushed to go to another school, how many of those guys are going to actually do it? And then who are the players that they affect? So we've just really kind of got a melting pot of a lot of issues within our game right now from the amateur system all the way up to, to the professional ranks, and it's something that's a really – major concern for me. 
Gene, sticking on the the baseball side of things, <clears throat> more on that professional level. One, do you think they should get rid of the umpires and have it be an automated system to call balls and strikes, take the humanization out of it? And two, when it goes to voting Hall of Famers, do you believe the media should be have such a major part in that? Or do you think it should be more based on players putting players in the Hall of Fame? <clears throat> You know, with, with, with regards to the umpires, I, I think it would be unfortunate to take out the human element part of the game. Uh, but I also think that it's important that we get it right. Um, you know, one of my dear friends, Rafael Palmero, had one chance to get to a World Series, and it was in 1995 when they're playing the New York Yankees and Jeffrey Mayer reaches over and gets the foul ball. In today's game, he's out and the Baltimore Orioles may be going to the World Series. And, and so the, the only thing that matters to me, I, I would hate to lose that human element side of it, but I also think in an $11 billion industry, it's important to get it right when you have the technology to do it. So I think I'm in the middle of, of keeping the umpires, but let's use every resource we can to get the call right, especially in a game-altering, season-altering situation. Gino, I, I, I think you've, you and Harge briefly alluded to this, and I, and I think I can speak for all four of us in this room and this podcast right now that we just love the game. We love baseball for what it is. And I would go as far as, say, purist, but we, we're also about progression. And I think you obviously see things that within the, in the scope of building this game, improving it, I think the over – and correct me if I'm wrong on this. I'm just going off the perception of what I hear from people who don't see baseball like we do. Um, you always hear – I hear the terms, it's too slow. I can only watch it in person. I can't watch it on television. The only time I watch it is during the playoffs or the World Series or even the College World Series. What can we do? Or maybe can you share any ideas which have been presented, which market the game better, from a, a standpoint on the professional level, which also you think would increase the recruitment or retention of young baseball players? Well, I think, I think one would be a national marketing campaign. And when you look at what the NFL has done with Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes it's, it's amazing. Uh, you look at what LeBron's done in the NBA. Uh, you know, Mike Trout plays on the West Coast. I mean, 90% of America is asleep when Mike Trout – sees his first pitch of the night, and he's the best player in the world. So from a marketing standpoint, maybe game time changes, maybe lifting the blackout restrictions. Uh, you know, all we had was the game of the week, Mike Kubik and Tony Kubek and Joe Garagiola when we were kids, and now it's every night. And so I just think marketing the game, all 30 teams uh, from a national standpoint, um, you know, I've, I've, I've presented some initiatives where – uh, some programs could, could go in effect where, you know, ex-ball players that are like Mike, they go back into their communities. Mike's, Mike's done nothing but pour back into the greater Austin community since he's been done playing. But there should be some merit from Major League Baseball to that, where Mike can take his team to a Rangers or an Astros game, you know, once a month for free and sit up in the 300 section where the seats are empty Anyway, there's a lot of things we can do to create the interest level at the lower age groups to where now when they hit that 14, 15, 16-year-old mark where 80% of the dropout exists right now, now the kids are fighting through those barriers because they have such a love for the game because they've had more opportunities to go to games and watch games on television and know who all the players are nationally and not just the players that are in their market. You know, you bring that up about going to, like, taking them to, like, a Rangers game or an Astros game. When I was younger, I got uh, – obviously, I played football, I played basketball, and I ran track, and I played – I ended up playing baseball because of some of my friends. But they took me to one of the very first games that I ever went to was the, the Texas Rangers. They took me up to the Texas Rangers because they had tickets. They were, they were fortunate enough. I always tell this story that – when I was recruited by Texas, I had never been to a Texas baseball camp. I had never been fortunate enough that I could afford to go and spend the night. And I used to get so pissed off because, I would, well, I guess I need to look back on it. I guess I say I was jealous because my friends got an opportunity to go 
and spend the night at Texas, play on at Dish Falk and run around and be on the turf and come back with a T-shirt. And I'm like, why am I not at that? Why am I not able to afford to be at that? And then I ended up being the one who signed at Texas and none of those guys got a chance to sign at Texas. But, you know, it, 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 it was, it was, I was jealous of the fact that my friends had those opportunities. So it goes back to what you were saying, Gene, if, if for some way, somehow, and I know RBI is doing everything they can to pour back into this community, but you're right. If they can get an opportunity to go and see players that look like them, it'll change some perspective, some, some, some thought processes along the way. No question. And, and, you know, that's where the initiatives have to begin. They have to begin at the grassroots level and getting a players. I mean, I, I was not a great player, but I had a great love for the game. And that's kind of what pushed me through all of this. And so that's where you've got to start the grassroots effort is those the six, seven, eight-year-old parents that are signing their kids up every year to play baseball don't sign up with the intentions of having to spend upwards of $10,000 just to get them through high school baseball. And so we have to create initiatives to know. And, and I tell parent after parent after parent, if your son can play, we will find you. And I think you know that, Mike. Nothing, nothing has changed from the standpoint if you're a good high school player at Colleen Ellison High School and you're playing against Georgetown High School, that Georgetown High School baseball coach knows an, an incredible amount of college coaches. Word's going to spread. But the perception of that we live in right now, the perception of is if we don't keep up with the Joneses, we're not going to we're going to get left behind has just embodied and engulfed our our amateur system. If you can play, we are going to find you. If all you do I can, I can tell you there are a number of big league players in the big leagues right now that all they did was play for their high school team, and they were drafted high, and they got a lot of scholarship opportunities. It's just that mindset and perception of having to keep up with the Joneses to feel like we're staying up. And, and, and if you can get out of that, if you truly believe in your son to be a player, they're going to find their way. And so that's just what I believe, and it's just fighting that fight and and getting kids to the ballparks and, and 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 getting them to love the game as early as they possibly can, as strong as they possibly can. Speaking of getting them to love the game, why don't you kind of talk a little bit about D-Bat up there in Cedar Park? You know, you got ties to that as well. Kind of tell everybody, like, what's going on up there. Georgetown. Yeah, my – yeah, up here Georgetown. in Georgetown. Sorry, right why did I say Cedar yeah. Park, Georgetown? That's all right. Right next to East U High Clint School. Clint, edit that out. Don't worry about it, Gene. That's okay. Um, it's right next to Eastview High School. My son, Tyler Watson, who uh, recently retired after six years of professional baseball, is the general manager. And, and that's basically what, uh, what the scope and the focus is of this facility. It's not to generate the, the, the most Division I or college athletes that we possibly can. They want to create uh, an atmosphere of kids coming in and enjoying the game, loving the game, being with their teammates. And, and, and getting better as players. And there's a lot of character and leadership aspects to it. Uh, you know, they don't talk about scholarships here. They don't talk about offers. It's about coming in and enjoying being with your teammates and being around the staff and having a lot of fun. And it's been open for about three weeks now and really doing well. So if you're, if you're in the area, 130 and 29 next to Eastview High School, uh, it's a really, really fun place for the kids to be. You know, we, we've had some uh, esteemed people enter the man cave and we've heard some amazing man cave stories. And you can only imagine if you didn't hear last week's episode, Ty Harrington's story. Uh, I think that took was hall of fame material. Is there any story from all your years in baseball or your life, or even a Pedro Gomez story, which you deem, would be you would love to share with everybody, which may be man cave story potential. <laughs> I'll <laughs> I tell know you, you have I'll some locker room with. I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, let's see. I got I've got a couple of good Nolan Ryan stories, or I can give you one really good Pedro Gomez story from the night we won the World Series. So, which would you rather have, gentlemen? What do you guys think? I want you to give me the Nolan Ryan story. Yeah. 
But then I okay. also want you, but I also want you to give the story about you and I. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. We got to get so, it. So the Nolan Ryan story, I'll give you one of two. Um, the greatest thing about being with Nolan Ryan for four years was the four days that he didn't pitch. And so he would pitch, you know, say it was a Monday night. Well, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, he would get his weights in. He would do, you know, all the things that – and he was on the front end of all the strength and conditioning with Marty Stagehart at the time. But it was those four nights that he didn't pitch that were just a joy because it was our time to talk baseball with him and spend a lot of time with him. And G.W. Bush would come down to the clubhouse and, and we would sit in Joe Macko's office and, and talk. And uh, so one night it was Bill Ziegler's, our trainer's, birthday. And they had a big cake, big sheet cake in the food room. And so we're all sitting in Mako's office and, and Nolan goes, and Nolan called me snacks. He said, snacks, go fix me some popcorn. And so I go in the food room and I'm popping popcorn. And about two minutes later, Nolan and Scott Champarino, who now works for Scott Boris and Ziegler come in the food room. And, and, and Champarino is talking about how his stomach's hurting. He's like, Oh man, my, my stomach's hurting. And, Nolan goes, snacks, what's that smell? And you know, how when you're popping popcorn, the whole room smells like popcorn. And I said, no, it's popcorn. He goes, no, something, something smells in here. And, and he goes, champ, why is your stomach hurting? He goes, I don't know. He goes, well, what'd you eat? And champ goes, I ate some of that cake. And Nolan goes, snacks, did you eat that cake? And I go, no. And he goes, well, have you smelt it? And I leaned over to smell it. And he takes my hand and shoved my face all in the cake. And I'm covered in cake. <laughs> yeah that was nolan ryan in a nutshell with the practical jokes That's my awesome. card story okay so i'm gonna go to carmel california to play summer ball mike harge's junior into senior year and larry haynes the head baseball coach at temple high school says hey what are you doing this summer and i go i'm going to california to play summer ball and i couldn't really afford to do it i had a family out there that was gonna house me and and he goes, man, why don't you stay back and coach our, our, our uh, Pony League, which you, nobody would even know what Pony League is now. <laughs> pony so best, so I do. League. I coach this team. Now, now, I am 19 years old coaching 17, 18-year-olds. And we're playing um, – Mike's going to get a little bit more of the story tonight. So we're playing Colleen Ellison. <laughs> and – my this my cards who I, and I mean this tonight and I mean this with all sincerity, truly one of the best at best athletes I've ever seen on a football, basketball, baseball field. I mean, we're talking. I profiled him as Gary Reedus in the big leagues, who played for a very long time. That's who my cards was, and he hadn't gotten hurt. He would have had a very long career. But this seventeen-year-old my cards is in the batter's box, and he's hollering out to my pitchers, "Throw me a fastball." Throw me a fastball. And J.J. Villarreal, who is also my age, is the umpire in the field. He's now the superintendent of schools in, um, in uh, Rockwall. So, J.J., <laughs> J.J., somebody's got to drill this guy. <laughs> and my, Mike is hollering out. So, I tell my pitcher, next time Hart comes out, I want you to drill him. Well, these guys are all boys. Hey, hey, nobody hit Mike Hards because you got to leave the stadium eventually. And so I asked Jason Knight to do it. He wouldn't do it. I asked Patrick Stanford to do it. He wouldn't do it. So after the third at-bat, I enter myself into the game. 19 <laughs> years old. I'm the coach of the team, and I enter myself in the game. And everybody in the ballpark knows what's coming. And the first pitch, I put one right under his chin. It's a yard sale, bat, helmet, blah, 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 and all bedlam breaks loose. And <laughs> That's fantastic. My, my point of it was I knew where he was going, and I knew what he was going to experience, and I didn't want him to have to learn the extremely hard way that you don't do some of the things that he used to do on the baseball field. But he knows I love him, and I love, tell, I love telling that story, and – and I, guys, I'm not kidding you. One of the best athletes you would ever see on a name the field. And it was, it was really, really fun to watch. And then it really fun to, to, to pull for him. And I'll tell you, I'll finish the story right here. Fast forward like seven years. I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas. And, and I'm going through the rosters. 
and I'm looking on the rosters and I see my cards, <clears throat> DL. And I look down and there's my cards in the stands and in, in, in full clothes because he's on the DL. And I have this little kid and I give him my business card. I said, hey, go this, give this card to that guy just to see what he would do. And my cards looks at that card and he looks up at me and he gives me one of these. <laughs> and I knew we were going to be okay after that. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah. Oh my I'll tell God. you what, I'll tell you what, Gino, every time I hear that story, I start laughing because it was true though. You, you, you taught me something that I, I knew I was going to end up having to know, you know what I'm saying? Like I tell people all the time when I first got drafted and I, you know, I thought I was, King Dingling, and I thought I was going to be it. And then I show up to my first year of pro ball, and everybody is me, right? Everybody is better than me. Guys are drafted higher. Guys have been doing this, and they've been playing at this level. And you get humbled. You get humbled really, really fast. And then you really have to go back and put the work in. And it goes back to the beginning of the story of Gino. He started from the bottom and he worked his way all the way up to the top and where he's, he's, he's holding people's futures and looking and gauging people. And that's what it's all about. You put the work in, you get the reward and his reward is being where you are right now. And I, I, I tell you all the time, I thank you. I appreciate you being my friend from, from day one and, and being the person that continues to try to, to, keep people involved in the game and, and, and pushing people to help rise the game up. So congratulations. And, and I know that you're going to do great things with the, with the angels as well. I appreciate you know, it. Thank I, you, Mike. I, and you, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I had to thank you, Gene. Mike, my car is just as humble now as he was then, from what I can tell. He is uh, <laughs> a humble, will not tell you how, what, how good he is at all or what he wants. <laughs> Hey, I never yeah. talk about my baseball career. I never talk about but, it. But, yeah, unless but you have. Well, hey, I got, I got I, one I, football I, story. I got one football story. Let's get, oh, let's talk more about my cards. I'm all about yeah. it. <laughs> one football story. Because my family was from Colleen. My mom and dad went to Colleen High School. And so I would go over to my grandparents on Thursday nights. And at the time, Mike, I think you guys shared Buckley with, with Colleen. We did. So we some. Did. So somebody would play on Thursday, somebody would play on Friday. Yeah. And, and I, I want to say you guys were playing either Reagan or LBJ. And Mike fakes left and rolls left and is met by the defensive back and drop steps his left foot and rolls all the way back to the other side of the stadium. It was, a, it was one of the most athletic plays you'll ever see from a quarterback. And he was Austin fun Reagan. to watch. August, Austin Reagan, that's who it was against. Mike, you yeah, played quarterback? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Of course you did. Yeah, of course you did. In all all seriousness, Gene, like, I will tell you this. Harge and I have known each other for about three years now. And I can can say this. Harge is one of the realest and coolest friends I have. And he wouldn't be that way without people like you in his life. So, for that, I will say thank you for that. Now, we could have worked on some of those stuff. Maybe a little bit more. Got more fucking fastballs to like the, the middle of the hey, back. Believe my me, I got my share of fastballs under the chin throughout <laughs> my career. God almighty. Hey, you know, uh, one thing I, I think when I first met you, uh, Gino, uh, it was before the MLB season started. One, I, I, this must have been 2012, 2013. And this is honestly, I think this is where I first met Harge up in the. Um, press level of Dell Diamond, that table. It's like mm-hmm. the table of sacred stories where all the scouts meet. And, that, and I was like, wait, how do, I, how do I get initiated in this fraternity? You know, and Driscoll would be sitting there, and then, I'd, you know, there were some other guys. And you get the stories you guys told, usually at other places like OKC, Wichita, and other press levels I've been to, uh, you hear the same stories over and over. Not at the Dell Diamond MLB scouting table. And I remember seeing Harge there, and I was like, man, this guy looks familiar. Lo and behold, just like we all are, we're all tied together. And yep. those stories, I mean, it's like one big fraternity, right? Man, no question. And that's, that's what everybody's kind of really saddened for right now. And I, I cannot 
wait to get on the plane tomorrow and head to Tempe and just roll into the complex and just meet my new coworkers and teammates and players and coaches and managers. And that's really what's been lost since the pandemic hit. I mean, we left uh, Surprise Arizona last March 11th. And, you know, I told my wife at the time, I said, we'll be back in three weeks. And we haven't been back since. And so I, I think that this last year has been great perspective on not taking anything for granted that you have in your life because it can all be taken away from you. And that's the, that's the beauty of the baseball family is that family takes care of family and we all look out for each other through the good times and the times you got to drill somebody and we, we take care of each other. And, but, but that's, and, and the round rock express that, that is one of the most unique situations and not just baseball in all of professional sports. What, uh, the Ryan family uh, and Chris Almendaris and Tim Jackson and Mike Caps, what they've uh, what they've created there from a family atmosphere and a culture, it's it's second to none. And I, I don't get there as much as I I wish I could. I hope I get to, but it is truly truly a special place to be when you're up there at Dell Diamond. Well, in fact, my uh, my grandparents, my <clears throat> grandmother's family used to own all that land. The wow, Petersons, and they're the ones that sold it. Yeah, they were always. <laughs> One sale off is what my grandpa used to always like to say. But yeah, man, we uh, the Round Rock, Round Rock Diamond. Shout out to Chris. He uh, he shot me a text the other day, but he's a great dude up there, man. Round Rock is a cool, cool little place for a Triple A team. I also got to say, I'm really happy the Rangers are back there. Go Rangers, go! Diehard Rangers fan. Uh, got him for ten years. Maybe now you're trying to take food series. off my table. Yeah, hey, man, I'm not trying to say. Listen, I'm so pissed off. Mike Trout got picked twenty-seven. The Rangers picked like 13th that year. I mean, they fucked up too, but let's just be real. Like, I, uh, I sure as hell, when you were like, yeah, we're going to get the Angels really going, I'm like, sure hope you don't, but I'm really rooting for you. Well, Gino, it has been a special moment. We've been, we've been talking about this since uh, last year. We just couldn't get our schedules aligned. We're very uh, excited for you and your new opportunity with the Angels. And as Hardball Hard said, you started from the bottom. You worked your way all the way to the top, man. You are uh, a, a, an esteemed uh, executive now in MLB, man. We couldn't be more proud of you. Thank you so much, guys. I enjoyed it. It was great. And if I can ever help in any way, don't hesitate. No, I love you, brother. Person. No, I love you, man. Love you guys. Y'all take man. care. Nice Gene, Gene Watson, folks, we're going to wrap things up here on episode 59 on the other side of this break. Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Hardball Hards, and we're right here at Stories Inside the Man Cave. But one of the stories that we need to talk about is prostate cancer awareness. Let me just tell you, fellas, this stuff is not fun. I know as men, we don't like to go get checked, but don't do it for yourself. Do it for your family. Do it for your friends, because the one thing you need to know is to know and being aware of what's going on. Get your PSA checked. It's real simple, it's easy. But as I said before, men, we don't like going to the doctor. But you know what you need to do? Do it for your family, do it for your friends. Just go get checked. Prostate cancer is real, and if you get it early, get it detected early, your chances of survival go up greater. Go get checked, go see your doctor, make sure you get that checked. Prostate awareness, go get checked. Hey, a big happy birthday shout out to a Longhorn baseball legend, the Cliff Gustafson, a.k.a. Coach Gus, Harbaugh Harge, Big Mike, 90 years young today on the dropping of this podcast. How about that? Happy birthday, Shit, man. Happy birthday, Coach. I'm supposed to make it to 86. That's the agreement I have with my wife. 86. That would be our 50th anniversary. Um, I would be 86 years old by the time that we had our 50th. I even have an 86 tattooed on my wrist for a special reminder. Now, does that help me? No. Why? Because my dumbass is intermittent fasting and went and bought gourds of food at Whataburger and ate it all. Anybody else ever done that? Where you're like, you know what? I'm going to intermittent fast because 
But you know what? Since I'm intermittent fasting and I'm starving, I'm going to order a spicy sandwich combo. Uh, let me get that spicy and, mm. and sweet burger. Oh, and I'll get another burger, too, because I'll eat that later. When you just start eating, you're like, fuck it. I'll eat the onion rings, too. Yeah, I didn't get a shake, which makes me feel skinnier. That's a win. Oh, my God. What a fat P.O. I think you should have just went with the shake, dog. I should have, man. If you're going to go all in. My <laughs> wife over here at night, though, my wife at night, I was like, you're eating healthy because you're pre-pre-diabetic. I'm like, I eat healthy all the time when I'm not around you, <laughs> which is a lie because all I eat is shit. I got P. Terry's and I got Waterburger right next door, and it is doing me no favors, gentlemen. No favors. And you've got Dan's literally two blocks down from you. Dan's hamburgers? Fuck. Where's like the <laughs> keto bowl? Where's the key the quinoa bowl place that I need to eat? Get you a daily juice. It's too damn cold to go work outside with Coach Mo right now. Fuck. It's like Dude, 20 degrees. I refuse to go to any of his classes when it's below Fucking 60. Balls yeah. are just shriveling up walking outside. I'm not I don't live in Idaho anymore. I live in Texas for a reason. This is some bullshit. Oh. Hey, guys, uh, real quick, Texas football recruiting. I know uh, we talked about it briefly last week, but as far as – I hate the term transition class. Sarkeesian rap. Malik Murphy, baby, my kinfolk. Who? My kinfolk, Malik Murphy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. five-star quarterback out of – Out of Cali. Out of Cali. What's up? I see you. Dimes. So, Jared Blue, shit. Like Eddie Murphy. I used to tell people Eddie Murphy was my uncle. <laughs> they didn't believe me. They saw you. Till they saw. Yeah, you. it's because I'm Caucasian. Well, no, nah, just the outer side. Inner, you were deprived side, of I'm the all, melanin, I know, bro. I know what I am. I'm I'm a G, dog. Yeah, I I'm got you. I got you. It's uh, I think we can all say if you're going to call this a transition class, he's got a pretty salty transition class coming in and momentum in 2022. I'm with you though, Sean. I don't like that. I don't like it being called moment, uh, transition class. These guys are all former high recruits. They were five stars, four stars. They are they are capable of doing some amazing things. I think the coaching failed them last year. The new coaching is going to come in, and they're going to have them in some different situations. As far as recruiting, he left four scholarships open so he could get some grad transfers that could come in and help out in some areas that they're missing. I believe that this team is going to be a lot better because everybody needs to understand this team went seven and three. The team went seven and three. They weren't 0-5, 0-10. They weren't a losing team. He got fired because he didn't execute things well on the field. He had no relationship he was with his off the field. He was executing off the field, but he wasn't executing on Jewelry. The Jewelry, said. <laughs> Jewelry. Give me that give me that birthday discount all year round, girl. I cannot deal that, with y'all, man. Let me get that necklace. Maybe go I, in there and drink a little champagne on South I, Congress. Drink a little champagne in South Congress when my wife shops for her I, birthday discount all year round. How often I, do you think well, he went to Perlis? I'm done with y'all. I'm like, <laughs> let's let's get back to what we got now. That's true. It was probably it was hop it was probably a hop daddy calling it hop daddy. Ooh, ooh, hop daddy. I cannot deal with y'all. LM's boot. All right, real talk. <laughs> I can't deal with y'all. But I really believe man that heels. Team, That's what those I, are, man heels. <laughs> I think that this team is going to be just fine. I, I I think once Sark gets these guys in the right position, they're gonna be a lot better than what they were last year. I promise you that. I as far as transition 100%. class, I don't. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be a transition class because you're looking at. I air quoted there. You're looking at. I mean, he's getting five star recruits. He just got Jordan Blue, the running back, five star running back. He's about to get a five star quarterback, and these guys. I mean, like he's going to get recruits. Yeah. He's going full in, like full. This is. I'm. I'm calling top ten recruiting class, maybe top five this year with his first year under the belt at UT. As far as like a, a transition year at Texas, I agree with Mike 100%. He uh -huh. has a team coming back. He's got a quarterback in Casey Thompson. He's also got um, Bijan Robinson. Dijon Robinson, Hudson Card. He's got people in place. <laughs> Joshua that, Moore. That, he's got receivers out. He's galore. He got in some transfers. You got in some transfers. You got a little bit of a D line. I think he's going to be all right. 
I think this year he probably wins like eight or nine games his first season. Um, but, I mean, I don't know, man. Spencer Rattler didn't look that good. I mean, he was all right. He, he was up and down. Does he do? Does he do? Does he do better in year three, or year? Because he redshirted his first year, right? Um, I don't know. We'll see. But all in all, I think I think Sark's going to do all right. And again, you got to remember, uh, he's got a great staff around him, man. He's got a great staff, and it's only going to get better. I'm excited. I'm excited. Ooh, hat sales are going to be fucking booming. Uh, all gas, no brakes, baby. All gas, no brakes. All gas, no brakes. All gas, no brakes. No brakes. You know what else? I know we are all excited about this. Uh, Texas. Can we talk about basketball? I can't wait to talk about basketball. Oh, well, we're, oh we got oh, I can't wait to talk about our basketball team. We all will. Hey, we almost there. They are and how they practice the break. And how they practice the press, and how they stop switching. I'm spitting. I'm so pissed off. You're, I, you're pulling a Lou Holtz over here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty sure one week from the day of this podcast drop, we're excited for that day, the 19th, when Texas baseball opens up against three of the nation's finest college baseball programs, all from the SEC. Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Ole Miss back to back to back at the Rangers' new ballpark. Seventh, eighth, and sixth ranked teams in the country. And so, how do you feel about the team? Well, this is what David Pierce said about what he likes the most about this upcoming team. And, you know, one of the main reasons is because there is an extra year of eligibility for many of his Longhorns. I like our depth, and I think that's going to be our strength going into this year is, you know, multiple guys that can tow the rubber. Um, I re- you don't want to go in this year with one catcher or you feel like you've got a one and your number two is kind of – he's solid on a Sunday, he's solid in a lopsided game, but he's not a guy that can catch a lot of innings for you. And I love our depth behind the plate. We have three guys and potentially four guys that give us options – um, a lot of infield options, um, and really, uh, you know, we have four guys in the outfield with Kennedy, Antico, Todd, and Hodo that can really go. Coach Pierce is one of those guys who is even killed. He's not going to get too excited because he knows the potential of this club. Every coach, whatever coach UT baseball, knows that Omaha is the end-all, be-all. But I'm going to go ahead and say it. This is an Omaha-type team, as they were before COVID interrupted. He's, he's talking about the depth being the strength of this team. Now, Harge and Big Mike, obviously everyone's going to have depth. What excites you about this team? Is it the depth or something else? I Honestly, I think this baseball team, the pitching, like I said, as I've heard that the pitching is great and that this is the deepest the bats have been in – in years at Texas. Now, the only other thing to counter that is that's going to be the story across everywhere across the country, right? Um, but in the Big 12, you suck. it sucks to see, but a lot of programs are losing out on their top players. Oklahoma lost their number one pitcher. Texas Tech lost their number one pitcher. So they're going to have to adapt. And how's that? Now, it benefits because other teams, because, you know, or them because they have more players. But, I mean, you never want to see anybody get hurt. But I also want to see Texas win. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that, Mike. I mean, you look at you look at the pitching staffs, and obviously, Todd Madden's going to be a front line guy. Um, you look at what they're going to be doing with Pete Hansen. The problem that I have is what's going to happen in the bullpen. The bats are going to be fine. They're going to have some depth, and as we've talked about, and we're going to continue to talk about, everybody's going through the same thing where they have an extra year, and they're going to have all these opportunities. The thing for me is, can Texas win those games three to two at the end? You got to have a closer that can come in and wipe out with wipeout stuff. Uh, Andre Duplantier is out. He had that Tommy John surgery, so he's going to be missing this year. And he was a guy that I was looking forward to seeing come out of the bullpen and close out games because he can come Nasty. in. Hey, he could come in in the eighth and the ninth and be able to shut people down. You, you, you look at that and you say, okay, is this year going to be Cole Quintanilla's year? Is he going to be a guy that can come out 
in closeout games when Texas needs him to do so. Uh, the bats are going to be what they are. Eric Kennedy, obviously, is an electric player. They got the new kid from St. John's that looks like a running back. And then you got Austin Todd. You got Austin Todd in right field doing his thing. And hopefully that leadership and, and that, that maturity is going to help this team take it to the next level. As we've talked about before, and we talked to Ty Harrington, we've talked to Keith Moreland and Greg Swindell, it's Omaha or bust Absolutely. all the time for the University of Texas. And I expect nothing less. I thought that team that they had last year was headed in the right direction. But let's see what happens starting. Like you said, you're going to get challenged right off the bat the first weekend of February. I mean, that first weekend of the baseball season, February 19th, 20th, and 21st at Globe Life. And, and I'm excited to see what these kids can do. I love me some Austin Todd. Pride of Round Rock, Texas, baby. Oh, baby. Uh, His dad's awesome. You ever hung out with with Mr. Todd? Mr. Todd. Mr. Todd, and then Todd's mom's awesome, and then Todd's stepdad's awesome. All all, all three of those guys, man, those are good people. I've never met the stepdad. You you know who we need to have out there back on the podcast is Mr. Uh, Mark Pena. Yes. How about we do that with him live from Houston? I mean, Arlington, excuse me. Oh, you know he's going to be up in the house. Absolutely not. We will not be doing that, but we can try and have him on next week. Yes, exactly. We will not do it when he's live. As much as I love my good friend Mark, Mark will be inebriated. That's right. That's why we want him. That's why we want him. (laughs) Okay. So, as we all know in college basketball, AP and coaches poll mean absolutely nothing. It's the net rankings which is the better ranking system which superseded the rpi currently texas in the net rankings number 21 so that equates to a four or five seed in the ncaa tournament gentlemen they've fallen from what went in the net the top eight in the net to 21 they barely beat kansas state on the road but certain some people say a win's a win on the road do you feel any better after they ended that three-game losing skin in manhattan kansas the spread was 14. The spread was 14. They were up with, like, 13 minutes to go by, like, what, 8, 9, 10? More than that. And they they won by three? Almost lost. Guys, I – and you better be play, praying your little britches off that Andrew Jones is on the team right now because, holy shit. And you want to talk before that? Hey, Brock Cunningham. Why can't we throw a ball in on a press the game before? What are we doing? Why are we still not able to break the press? Why are we still switching? Why? What is going on? We will not make it out of the first out of the first weekend, hands down. The way we're playing, first weekend, I'm, and I wouldn't be surprised if we lose. But hey, man, guess what? If we don't make it, maybe we can make a run at the NIT again. Let's go, go NIT, defending champs, back to back champs. Look, I keep looking at this um, this basketball team, and the things that stand out to me are the are the senior guards. And I don't call them senior. There's only a couple. One that's a senior, and I think that's Matt Coleman. But Matt everybody Coleman's else been there for ten years. And that's the, the mistakes that continue to be made in pressure situations. You know as well as I do when you watch the NCAA tournament, guard play is the biggest thing. Guard play gets you to the finals. Guard play gets you a championship. If our guards do not play better and take care of the basketball, you're right. They won't get out of the first round. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping and truly, truly wishing that we don't have a Big 12 tournament. They need to nix that right now. There is – that – that causes too many issues logistically before the NCAA's moneymaker. If you, right. you know what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you're absolutely. COVID, I mean, don't, don't do it. I don't think there should be any conference tournaments this year. Right. I agree with you on that. But for me, Shaka, I finally saw him get pissed off on the sideline during the time the other night. Yeah. Finally. I mean, I understand you're trying to be the Zen master and be calm and all that. But every once in a while, you got to get in somebody's ass and let them know 
that we cannot continue to make these mistakes. To Mike's point against Oklahoma State, they should have blew Oklahoma State out too. But if you look at that play with Brock Cunningham throwing the ball in, Matt Coleman was wide open to start the play, and he ran to the other side because they had some dumb play. Sometimes you got to just nix it and go play basketball. Go ball. Did you not Did you not see that nobody else ran to the ball? Oh, nobody that's else. That's what I'm saying. He was by – Matt Coleman was by himself. He was standing in front of him by himself, and then he ran to the other side. This was a set run play. Over. He couldn't run the baseline. This was not a baseline run play. And I'm just like, no, what, what are we saying, doing? Yeah, they had Coleman. Yeah, they had Coleman run across when Coleman was wide open. He right. could have thrown the ball in there. Right. Runs across. But, and then, has no, then he had nobody else diving down to be wide open to catch the ball midway, like three quarters of the court up. Yes. It's a, it's a, it's a joke, man. It's coaching. It's coaching. Like, it is. But also, you kind of both alluded to it. But also, and I want to say my, my version is, like Vince Young said, Back in the day, sometimes you gotta adhere to coaching, but other times in those situations where it's pressure on you, let your nuts hang, play ball like you would in a street game of pickup. Go, be oh. tougher. The toughest teams almost. Kind of, I mean, look at West Virginia. Yeah. Are they the most talented? They're playing good ball right now. That's a Huggins type team. Yeah, and it's that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah, that's they What's Rick Patino doing at Iona. Rick Patino doing all right at Iona. <laughs> what is wrong with you, Doc? <laughs> just check, just ask. Anybody got any updates on Rick I Patino check for you, Rick. Iona? I'm gonna check. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What's, I'm the, check. Over, what's the over under on the on the strippers at practice? Man, what are you <laughs> at, man? Hey, what conference is Iona in? <laughs> I have no I, idea. That's how much I don't care. I'm, I'm curious. That's so funny. Yeah, I think it's the Atlantic Sun. I'm here's here's here, here's my question to you guys. If Shaka if Shaka unfortunately, and I'm like I I'm just speaking the truth here. Yeah. What happens if Shaka doesn't make it out of the first first weekend? Does he get let go? No. Do they go after Chris Beard? Like, what is it going to take to get oh. them to do what they did to Tom Herman? Yeah. I don't, hey, I don't think Texas, I, I, if Texas keeps playing like this, we're not getting out of the first round. That's the bottom line, and that's where I'm at right now. And I'm just – I'm a basketball fan, and I love watching hoops. What I've been seeing lately is a team that is still trying to find their way and this long into the season and this long into the, the time that these guys have been playing together. You think about this. They got one player that is new to the program. One. Yeah, and that's Greg, Greg Brown. Greg Brown. Everybody else knows what Shaka wants, knows what the offense should be, and we're still having the same mistakes. That's a problem. Do they know? Do they know though? That's what I'm saying. That's, that's, that's a problem to me. That, that, that I don't think they perform well under pressure, but also, don't you think you're at the you're at a you're at a university? How can you not perform under pressure? I'm talking about late you're game pressure. Late game pressure. That's yeah. my point. That's, That's been consistent. Point. You're at a big 12. You are at a school that Rick Barnes took you to the tournament for like 16 straight yeah. fucking years. Yeah. yeah. Guys, like you've got Kevin Durant and I mean, you, you go to Texas and you get in the league. We've put someone in the league the last four years in a row under Shaka. Yeah. So, I mean, like it's there. My question is what is going on? What is going on with the coaching? Right. I just don't get it. And he keeps um, cha- and he's changed. Listen, he's changed. You guys know he's changed assistants. That's that that validates your question. I'm with you, man. I mean, I don't you. think Shock was a bad coach. I just don't. I don't know why it's not translating here to finish these seasons strong because they they're going to go from a potential number two seed, maybe all the way to five or six. Man, <laughs> you know, and but the Big Twelve, bef- for sure. Is the number one league in the country. My yeah. With yeah. that. Right, we'll, so they've got TCU at home Saturday at OU Tuesday. Uh, I'm not going to say gimme games at all, especially in Norman. Nope. Uh, so before we wrap up, let's tell, tell me something good, fellas, real quick. Hearts. Well, you know, as 
Things are starting to change. It's baseball season. Check out the Harge Knox Life podcast. We're Absolutely. doing one every week with uh, Coach Ty Harrington. It's called Real Hardball Talk with Ty Harrington. We're going to be previewing Big 12 baseball, and we're going to be previewing the Sun Belt because Ty made his his bones in that Sun Belt. So that's next. That'll be coming out uh, tomorrow. Or no, actually later tonight because tomorrow we're dropping – stories inside the man cave with our yeah, man baby with our man gene watson and hat boy is supposed to be looking out for me he still is uh he sometimes he gets emotional and he doesn't do things because he gets caught up and i need to talk to him but just do one thing wear your heart on your head wear your heart whoa wow like it. i like going, it tell me going deep good the, uh, <laughs> going deep with the slogan of of did you just read that? Is that what you Yes, said? I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> the slogan of last and that's, uh, yeah. Well, sometimes you give people discounts and they're asking you to do go above and beyond for discounted stuff. So you fit them in when you have time. Um, that's just something you do when you help out friends. Sometimes you get around the, you are not the top of the totem pole, Mike, as we discussed earlier with our great, great guest, Gene. And your humbleism is just continually growing. Continually growing. Some good news. We have new Texas baseball hats coming out for the University of Texas. That will be launched this weekend. We, you can also get your all-gas no-breaks hat only at laststandhats.com. Pre-sale available now. Hats will ship out by the end of February. Beautiful. Maybe one day we will have some swag. Stories inside the man cave swag. It'll happen. Probably not. It'll happen. Probably not. I'm looking to crystal ball. I see some stories inside the man cave uh, swag here. It's in the We'll crystal- have some swag. Swag. We'll have some swag. We'll send Calendar. You I'll tell you something good. Guys, chill out. It's winter. We got a winter storm. Everything's going to be all right. Don't all go in HEB at the same time, man. We're going to have fun. And when it snows on uh, Tuesday, Enjoy it. We can live in harmony like we did last time it snowed. Life is good. Relax and love. And that's it. For, for the absent coach, Mo got a broken record. Who? Yeah. Who? <laughs> you? Shout out to our boy, Coach Mo. Shout out to Coach Mo and elite, Coach Mo's Elite Fitness. For him. Big Mike and Hardball Harge, we out. All out of play when you see him in the street. Take a damn nap! We good, player.